Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number five of the Internal Customer Podcast. Today, we'll be talking a little bit about um, what we've done so far this summer, what's coming up, and uh, also what we're currently doing, um, and just a wide variety of topics. Anything you want to start off with, Nick? It is hot and it is humid in the state of Iowa. I yeah, miss actually, winter. <laughs> it, it actually cooled down quite a bit last night. We had a little bit of a rain come through and then some cool cooled weather but yeah it's been hot and humid um, so what have you been doing this summer um this is this has been actually a, a really productive summer for us we finished teaching uh the spring semester in the middle of may then we had all of the end of semester kind of pomp and circumstance we had the graduation and commencement and everything so that that took up a lot of our time um opted to do a little bit of a decompress, so took a little vacation with my wife. It was nice to get away for a couple weeks. We went up to Alaska and Seattle and um, was able to just kind of go off the grid for a little while, which was nice. Uh, but sure enough, come back and, and we hit the ground running. I think uh, some misconceptions that people have is that summertime is when professors don't really do, any, do anything, and in actuality, um, we're just as busy now as we were uh, during the course of the semester, really where we're seeing our big uh, kind of use of time right now is is research. I'm teaching a summer class. I know you are as well for our doctoral students. That's always a, a fun experience to to kind of interact with them, particularly when during the course of the semester we teach mainly undergrads, being able to interact with the graduates during the summer is uh, a nice nice experience. But right now it's just research, research, research. Right. Yeah. And something unique about our program in hospitality is we do have a what we call a distance Ph.D. program where the students will take some online classes throughout the year. But then over the summer, they'll come for about three weeks to do some intensive courses where they're pretty much in the classroom at least eight hours a day, every day, including weekends. Um, and two of the classes, um, I'm teaching one and Dr. Thomas, Nick Thomas is teaching one as well. Uh, the one I'm teaching is on professional writing. Um, Nick is teaching on current issues in hospitality. Um, both of those are actually online over the summer, um, but the same students that are that had come to campus are taking that in addition to maybe one or two others. Uh, what what kind of issues are you addressing in your current issues class this summer? You know, for me, it's it's I think maybe take a step back and and talk about the kind of the breakdown of of or the demographic and kind of the the profile of these students. Most of the students that we have in this doctoral program are currently either in industry, but most of them are actively teaching at a university right now. So the fact that the program is mostly online is a really great resource for them. I, I look back on this and think when I got my PhD that I would have loved to have a program like this at my disposal. And and I'm not trying to, to sit and, and promote our program. This isn't an advertisement for that, but, but it's really a great model that allows them to continue their jobs, continue having a source of income. They don't have to be away from their families uh, too much, and they get their doctoral degree, where when you and I win, it was, you know, we get an assistantship, we basically live below poverty for a couple of years, we you know, sleepless nights working in the graduate studies office, doing research. So, so this is actually a really good program. The way that I'm designing my particular course this this summer is is I want the students to have a really good sense of 
how we as academics, when we do research, we design things that have a, an immediate practical application to industry. So often there's a disconnect between what we do as um, what what we do as academics in terms of creating theories and creating models and testing those models. But what I want them to do is say, okay, what can I do related to research that a hotel could take and implement right away? Whether that's related to technology, whether that's related to human resources, whether that's related to customer service, everybody's going to approach it a little bit differently. I've got some students that are looking at food service issues, sanitation issues. I've got some students that are looking about how we can incorporate technology into human resources. I've got some that are looking at ADA compliance, so American Disabilities Act compliance. And so it's, it's kind of a, a fun course in that sense. So much of what they do in their doctoral program is just heavy, heavy, heavy research related. But I want this to, to not just be research related, but also have a practical application to the industry. Very good. Yeah. And the class, like I said, I'm teaching is professional writing, which um, isn't necessarily a current issues thing, but it is uh, something that's kind of a foundational work for the rest of their, um, the students program. Um, they, we use American Psychological Association's APA manual uh, for our writing. And so the professional writing course is really all about getting in depth into what that style means, the ethics behind it, and so on. Um, and so it is very much a straightforward course, just trying to um, get involved with that, get immersed in it, um, do some practicing with it in order to uh, be sure that future courses are able to follow that. And all, all of the um, conferences we have follow that style. There are some journals that do not, but the majority of journals do follow that APA style. Um, I think what's interesting about the summer courses, and, and some people don't realize this, is it's just because a class is taught in the summer it's the exact same amount of content. We just compress it down into a much shorter period of time. So this particular class that I'm teaching and like yours is, it's only four weeks. So we have a lot of information to cover. So, so every day I'm logging in and we're looking at the discussion boards and we're posting things. And so, so just cause it's a summer class doesn't mean we lower the academic standards in any way. Right. Yeah. And, um, since we podcasted last, I believe um, the semester ended. Um, we both finished up a few classes, got grades submitted. Um, as you said, you took a little bit of a vacation. Um, my wife, daughter, and I went to uh, Spain to visit my wife's sister and uh, spent about 10 days there, came back, and just like you, started on the online teaching, online course. Um, we got to meet a lot of the distance students, which is nice because they are only here pretty much once a year, uh, besides for their major meetings that they're required to fly back for. Um, but the majority of them were here, um, able to interact with a little bit, get to know, and then now interacting with online. Um, anything else related to that that you wanted to discuss? No, no, I think we can, you know, maybe let's, why don't we talk a little bit about some of the research that we're doing. We'll talk about some of our other initiatives for the summer going forward. Right, yeah, there's a, a paper that we've been working on. Um, it's kind of a qualitative, a little bit, but then there's also some quantitative side to it as well. Um, looking at turnover in hospitality, in particular, um, the study that I'm talking about is 
we surveyed recent hospitality graduates from different universities across the nation um, and kind of asked them, what is it that caused them to leave the hospitality industry, which has been done before. Um, however, we also asked them some of the issues related to uh, what would bring them back to the hospitality industry, if anything, if they had left, um, or if they're still in the industry, what is it that would keep them here or what is it that they're thinking of that may cause them to leave in the future i mean that qualitative side of it kind of got us a lot more information that um, we we know a lot of the issues related to turnover and hospitality i mean long hours sometimes relatively low pay um, stressful situations or interaction with customers that can become very stressful or burnout um, but there are some issues that i mean what what would it take to bring hospitality graduates, so people that have a hospitality degree that have left the industry, what would, take, what would it take to bring them back? Um, and some of them were very straightforward and simply said they would never return. Others, they gave some, some ideas, um, and we'll be addressing that in the paper as we finish it up and get it submitted. Um, I know that we've also been working on a casino paper that you've kind of taken the lead on, and I don't know if you want to address some of the issues in that paper that will be coming out soon, too. Yeah, I think, you know, to real, to real quick, just follow up on, or just a, one quick thought on the, the qualitative paper that you're kind of taking the lead on. It, it You know, you and I, the most the majority of all of our research has been, been quantitative in nature. So for those that don't really know, when we think about quantitative research, we deal a lot with numbers. So we have surveys that have questions on a scale of one to five. We look at the responses. We can do all sorts of statistical magic to... Uh, interpret those results. But at the end of the day, what we're really just dealing, looking at is numbers, and we're trying to see trends and patterns. One of the things that I really like about the particular paper that you're taking the lead on is that it's qualitative in nature. And what that allows us to do is, is really not just look at numbers, because there is, it's kind of a mixed methods approach, but also getting some interpretation from the respondent. So when we think about qualitative, we actually think about words and descriptions and why people feel a certain way. So it's kind of a nice change from our very kind of heavy statistical analysis research that we do to kind of break that trend for even if it's for a short period of time, one or two papers and look at qualitative stuff. So the we recently, um, you know, some of the good news that we've gotten this this summer already is just recently we've gotten two journal acceptances uh, for some of our research. We did one related to classroom technology, and then we also were able to get a quite a groundbreaking uh, piece of, of research out there that, that a gap clearly existed related to job satisfaction in the casino industry. The casino industry is very, very difficult to um, research human resources topics in. A lot of that's due to the fact that um, casinos aren't really necessarily willing to release a lot of information about their human resource practices. The only way we can really start to shed light on that is either if we've worked in casino human resources, which I have, or we build a strong enough relationship with a casino that they're willing to, to kind of let us analyze the data. This particular study that we got accepted recently was um, kind of the bladder in the sense that we were able to ascertain and get some some human resource data from several casinos out in the uh, the western part of the U.S. And what we did is we looked at uh, job satisfaction levels at the at the supervisory department and company level.
based on the gender of the supervisor. And, and this was a really interesting study because what we wanted to see is, is what's going on with the glass ceiling. How, how prevalent are gender issues in the casino industry? We know that the hospitality industry is, um, when we look at the, the demographic breakdown based on gender, we see a almost an even split. There's about a 50-50 split between men and women working, but, but we, we see a disproportional number of men in supervisory positions. So we wanted to kind of look, okay, if that's the case, what, what are the implications to employee job satisfaction in that scenario? So that's going to be coming out in the uh, FIU Hospitality Review. We're very excited about that. It's actually already come out, um, so that's, that's exciting. And then what we're going to do for this second paper related to it is we're going to continue to use that data and pull out some more information. Specifically, we're going to look at the difference between job satisfaction and supervisor gender, but we're going to slice it based on is the employee working in the front of the house or are they working in the back of the house? Um, it, for those that don't really know, what essentially what that means is is this a guest service position where the employee has direct interaction with the customer, the external customer, um, or is it kind of a back-of-the-house, non-visible supporting function? An example of a front-of-the-house position in a casino might be a casino dealer, someone who's dealing blackjacks or craps or something like that, whereas a back-of-the-house position might be human resources, engineering, accounting, things like that. So we're going to look at job satisfaction based on front of the house or back of the house, but then we're going to add another level to it by also investigating the turnover intention. So we know that when we look at literature related to the tur- to turnover of employees, meaning they leave the organization, we know there's lots of reasons why that, that occurs. It could be dissatisfaction with compensation. It could be kind of dissatisfaction with the industry as a whole, but we also know that job satisfaction is a big indicator of turnover intention. So we're actually going to quantify that. And that's that's not a, a new concept in the academic literature, but the fact that it's in the casino industry makes it somewhat new. A lot of the turnover literature that we see is in food service. It's in the lodging industry. We don't see much related to the casino industry. So um, I'm pretty excited about this, and, and I know you are as well. Um, so that's, that's kind of the big project that's on my plate right now. Right. Yeah. So, uh, the way we tend to do a lot of our research or a lot of our writing is, um, we both kind of support each other, but then one of us takes the lead role on whatever project it is. Uh, those are the two that are sitting at the top right now. And so one of us has each and we're just going forward, trying to get those finished up and get them submitted, um, and hopefully published, um, so everyone can read them in the not too distant future. Um, as you said, yeah, we I both think, had. Yep, go ahead. I, I think you know this is. It's. I have no idea how many people are going to be listening to this podcast. Maybe it's just you and I, or maybe this is something that people find of use. But but for those of you that are listening, that are kind of junior faculty, I, I think you can. This idea that that Eric and I are able to collaborate like this is such an added benefit, particularly for somebody that's just starting out as a junior faculty on the tenure track. I mean, if. Yes, we each could go at this process of doing research alone, and I think we would be productive. But in terms of efficiency, in terms of having somebody there to kind of bounce ideas off of, having somebody kind of look at your research and your writing with a fresh set of eyes, 
very, very quickly. I, I can't stress the importance of that enough. I mean, it's such a valuable tool and it, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, every single thing that Eric and I do, we're going to align in terms of our passions, but we kind of put it under this larger umbrella of human resource related literature. So for those of you that are listening that are on this tenure track or junior faculty, find somebody that you can work with, find somebody that shares a similar interest with you because it makes doing research so much easier. It makes it so much more enjoyable with technology, with, with cloud technology and sharing of information. You can share information almost instantaneously from a variety of devices. Um, this, it's an absolute wonderful partnership. Absolutely. And I think maybe uh, that's something we could talk about in the future is kind of uh, we have almost a system. We use a couple different types of software and programs to manage our uh, our writing and our grant projects and such. Uh, maybe in a future episode we'd be uh, able to share that with others once we uh, get a chance and uh, maybe others would be benefiting from that as well. Um, you, as you mentioned, we've both been pretty busy um, this summer. You actually just finished uh, this week a customer service workshop that you you and Dr. Lisa Thomas did with the uh, Ames Convention and Visitor Bureau. Uh, go ahead and talk a little bit about that, what it was, what you did, and um, kind of what you thought of the outcome. Yeah, I mean, this this workshop that we did is, it, it, it's almost a, a, a perfect analogy for what we're trying to do with internalcustomer.com. I mean, what we believe with internalcustomer.com is that we want to find a mechanism for best practices in human resources in hospitality organizations and how we can take that and actually have that benefit a hospitality organization's external customers. So how can we treat our employees well? What are some strategies that we can employ to treat our employees well that results in treating the customers really well and making the organization and the operation more efficient? This was a uh, all-day workshop that we – that. Uh, Lisa Thomas and I gave to uh, hospitality employees that are that reside here in Ames, Iowa. Ames, Iowa is quite a large community. There's quite a lot of businesses related to services, and that could be anything from retail, uh, food service, lodging. That could be t- uh, t- tour bus companies. That's uh, small organizations, large organizations. So we have a lot of employees that, that are in the service industry in Ames. So what we wanted to do is give them a quick uh, introduction to some of the concepts related to service, really under this framework of professional development. For some of them, they might have had years and years and years of, of customer service experience. Some of them might have had a very limited amount, but the, the goal was is let's come up with some strategies, let's come up with some best, let's highlight some best practices for how we can figure out what the expectations of the consumers are, what we do when things don't go well, when we have a service failure and we need to have a service recovery. We talked a little bit about perceptions and how those impact satisfaction. Then we did a a really fun exercise with them called a service blueprint, where we actually sat down and we had the, um, the service employees do a blueprint, almost like an architectural blueprint of service experiences and figure out what's the customer doing, what's my role in this, what sort of support functions do I need. And at the end of the day, I think a lot of them took away from it, you know what, service, service providing customer service is a, 
is a complex thing. It's a stressful thing, but it doesn't always have to be. That it can, it can. If we think about certain best practices and certain strategies, it can actually be a really rewarding experience for both the employee and the customer. And that's what we wanted to take away from it. This is this is not something that's patented. I mean, we weren't really, you know, breaking, you know, any barriers in terms of presenting new information, but. This is information that companies have used to, to really become successful, and we wanted to kind of share that with them. And I was happy to, and I know Lisa was as well, I was happy to uh, kind of support the community because when the city of Ames does well in terms of services, it the university does well, people that come to visit Ames does do or, uh, can do well, um, and it's beneficial for the state of Iowa. There, there's lots of reasons and, and benefits from it. But overall, I think it was a it was a great time. Very good. Um, the other topic, I guess, that we just briefly wanted to discuss is about our upcoming conference. Um, Cree is the main conference for hospitality educators, um, and the upcoming summer conference will be in San Diego at the end of July. Uh, we have a couple of stand up presentations, and then we also um, have a little bit of a discussion or symposium that we're doing. Um, and so we'll we'll be involved quite a bit around there. Um, I know you're serving as the president of the Central Federation, so you'll be a part of the uh, big Cree board trying to uh, provide, I guess, that connection between our federation and uh, and big Cree. Um, what thoughts do you have on Cree coming up? I know we'll talk a little bit more once we're actually at Cree, um, and we'll probably have another podcast between now and then um, to talk about what we'll actually be doing, but... Any thoughts that people should think about or know before we conclude? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, I think you can, going to these conferences for, from an academic perspective, these are extremely valuable. This is almost, I think this is one of the most valuable things that you as a member of the academy can do to really develop yourselves professionally. Um, this, is a, this is a conference for, for us that just happens to be called ICRI. For other disciplines, they might have their their own respective conferences, and a lot of times, it's a it's a financial stretch for some people to go. I mean, people are going to have to come in from all over the world for this conference. They're going to have to pay for hotels and meals for a couple of days. But you know, I think the juice is worth the squeeze because what you essentially get to do is you get to to network and interact with two hundred, three hundred, maybe even four hundred of your peers in academia. I mean, listen, I. I see and talk to Eric almost on a daily basis during the school year, but my colleagues at schools in California or Texas or Florida or throughout Asia or Europe, I don't get to see that much. And I don't get to, and while it's nice to kind of see them and catch up on, on how they're doing personally, what I really kind of want to see also is what they're doing professionally. What are their areas of research? For all we know, there could be... Uh, another Nick and Eric over in Europe doing the exact same thing we're doing. And why not try to find a way to, to join forces and um, create even better research? So a lot of times new faculty don't really understand the benefits of going to these conferences, but they are so beneficial. It's so beneficial to get constructive feedback on your, on your research. As, as you mentioned, we've got a couple stand-up presentations that we're going to give and you, you kind of check your ego at the door and you say, you say to your peers, this is what I'm researching. This is what I'm kind of finding. What are your thoughts? Poke some holes in it. Where, where do you see are my weaknesses and my deficiencies in this research? Because 
I want to strengthen it. And these are the same people that when we submit to journals, our, our manuscripts, these are going to be the reviewers. These are going to be the people that are going to critique our final product. So going to the conference and getting their feedback at these very early stages is so beneficial. Um, it's also nice just to, to kind of get out of Ames and we're in the hospital, we teach hospitality. So it's kind of nice just to see the hospitality of another city where this conference happens to be in San Diego. Uh, so it'll be nice just to kind of, uh, to, to see the hospitality industry of San Diego, how they uh, perform in terms of service quality to how their, what their human resources look like. Um, so that, that should be a fun experience. Right. Um, and one last question for you. Um, if you were running a, a hotel or a casino and an employee came up to you and said, I want to get paid in Bitcoin, what would you say? That's a tough question. Um, I would probably I would probably decline initially. I think there's too much uncertainty uh, when we're dealing with cryptocurrency. I think that if we can find a way to make it more socially um, or kind of commercially acceptable. I think if we had more businesses that accepted it, um, I think that that would be something that, that I would probably consider. I mean, I think that this is a, this idea of cryptocurrency. I mean, Bitcoin just happens to be one of them. There's, I think there will be others that come online. Um, this is a, this is a hot topic. Um, we are, I think we've kind of gotten to a point where people have some uncertainty with the financial markets. They have some uncertainty with, um, you know, compensation and benefits issues. And this is definitely a growing trend. Right. Well, yeah. And you can, I mean, just the myriad of issues that can come from it. I mean, the fluctuation in Bitcoin value, I mean, it could mean that you, yeah, you're paying them today, but that check probably was cut a few days ago, whatever it may be. And that value of that check has already influenced or changed within hours, much less days. Um, But yeah, there are so many different issues with cryptocurrency and Bitcoin being obviously the the largest or the most commonly known. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to take a while and there needs to be more stability almost before anything becomes uh, very likely, I guess. And yeah, I mean, there's plenty of casinos and such that will accept Bitcoin um, from customers or even businesses that will. Um, but that's because you can do real time, um, I don't know, transactions or verification of how much it is or when you come in and you if you have the bitcoin with you as you're using it you understand that the value of it is fluctuating as you're going and um and so on but but yeah i guess guess for me also i'm i'm very concerned with just the the security aspect of it i mean i think if you look at what's happened what happened recently uh over in japan with mt gox and them essentially you know Whatever the reason for it was, whether it was an inside job, whether it was somebody coming in from the outside with malicious intent, the end result is the same. There's lots of Bitcoin that are no longer in the possession of the person that had them, that owned them. Um, so that, that to me scares me. I, I, feel, I feel very comfortable, although I have some, you know, and that's, that's a whole other discussion. I mean, I have some some issues with the banking industry in the United States and particularly some of these large banks and, and how much we hold them accountable and the kind of their historical track record and some of their business practices. At the end of the day, I feel very safe. I feel that my money is very safe and secure and it's protected um, when it's in one of these large banks. The moment you start dealing with cryptocurrency, um, 
listen, I mean, I, I, like a lot of people, have student debts. I have obligations to my, to my lenders in terms of things like my mortgage and my credit cards. If all of a sudden one day I lose a significant portion of my, my money or my assets, that to me is terrifying um, because my mortgage holder isn't going to say, oh, um, we're sorry. You're, we're sorry that all your Bitcoin got stolen or all your Bitcoin is lost. Um, don't forget, you owe us X amount of dollars next month. So, you know, until we can find a way to get around that, I, I don't see us as a best practice going down the avenue of paying our hospitality employees in Bitcoin. I think that um, I think that there's organizations out there like Starbucks who just recently came out with their initiative to to assist with with tuition for their employees to kind of build loyalty and build a strong organization. I think there's other things that we can do in terms of trends related to compensation and benefits that will be will be beneficial for employees, but I'm just not really 100% sure if a, if Bitcoin or a cryptocurrency is is in the uh, is in the tea leaves anytime soon. Yeah, okay. Well, and with that, um we We'll go ahead and conclude here. Again, if you want to reach out to us, um, you can reach out to us at uh, eric at internalcustomer.com or nick at internalcustomer.com. On Twitter, I am at ebphd and Nick is at Nicholas J. Thomas. Um, Otherwise, feel free to send us an email, contact us, or we'll see you next time.